You enter the cavern and come to a four-way intersection. To the left, you see a pathway that descends for 20 feet before ending in a large room. To the right, a door with ornate scrollwork depicting the battle between Karnas and Othos. Ahead of you is a stairway that goes up, but it's dark up there and you can't tell what's there. Okay, so what was that on the left again? It looks like a large room. Oh, okay, and, and that's going up, right? Because we want to go further into the tunnels? No, 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 it's, it's descending. It's about 10 feet lower than where you are, uh, and the hallway goes 20 feet until it hits that room. Oh, and wait, so what was that about the scroll work? You mean the scroll work on the door? Wait, there was a door? Do you just need me to re-describe the whole room? On this episode of Becoming DM, we're talking about setting the scene for your role-playing games. Hey everyone, this is John. And this is Felicia. And really before we dive into this, I wanted to make sure that we talked a little bit about the goal of the episode. Because setting the scene, uh, while it does get across our point, it maybe needs a little bit more expansion. So one of the big things that we're doing is we're talking about how to present the area that your players are in to them, whether it's in combat or exploration. And there's a lot of different ways and there's pros and cons of each. So that was one of the main goals. Yeah, and, and as far as you know, considering pros and cons, ultimately, regardless, you know, regardless of which method you do choose, uh, it's really about giving your players the information, um, the visualization that they need so that they can make the best decisions for their um, players so that they can decide how they want to proceed. Yeah, and and so since you mentioned players, let's kind of talk about the things to consider uh, mm. when you when you start making choices like this. And yes. the first thing I want to I, I do want to mention we're we're going to split out different ways to present the the scene to your players, but it doesn't mean that you're all in one way if you choose to go that way. You can definitely pick and choose, mix and match, take take pieces from one and put it into the other, or even have one scene that's set one way and one scene that sets it set a different way just because of the mechanics involved. Uh, so don't think by the fact that we're splitting these out that there's anything different um, that, that you have to choose one way or another. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's definitely not having to be cut and dry, black and white. And and in some people, like in some cases, whether you choose to utilize one method for all of your campaigns or whether you decide to mix and match within the same campaign, it can also be one of those things where you just kind of go, as you go along in your um career as DM, if you will, that you discover that, you know, your methodology in, in implementing these visualizations um, kind of changes as time goes on. So, and that's definitely what happened to me. But before we get into that, uh, one of the other things to consider is just the space that you have. Um, and this can be kind of interpreted a, a couple of ways, but considering one this actual space that you and your players um, are residing in, you know, do you have space for certain scenes and certain settings? Is it a close tight space that you guys have to sit in so that you can do theater of the mind? Um, And then another thing to kind of consider is the actual setting in and of itself. Are you doing this crazy intricate cavern or are you doing a straight up just one big room that you guys are going to conduct combat in? Those are a couple of things to keep in mind. And, and space is, is not only where you're playing, but uh, once you're done playing uh, the stuff mm. that you're using, do you have a place to put it? 
Yes, uh, another interpretation of space. <laughs> or is or is your significant yeah. other or roommate going to kick you out of the, out of the house because you're you're taking up the living room with all that stuff? Exactly, <laughs> with your darn D and D stuff. <laughs> yeah, and, and and also uh one thing to consider when when making the decisions like these is whether uh whether you're running a homebrew campaign versus a pre-made campaign because it may lead you to choose one style versus the other based upon um what assets are available for one versus the other with your with homebrew you have a little bit more flexibility because you can make it exactly the way you want and exactly mm-hmm. the way you mo- want may fit exactly what resources you have. Whereas if you have uh, a a published adventure, they have maps in those adventures, and yes. they may or may not work for um, for presenting certain ways, just because of the format they're in versus the format that you may have to present in. So yeah. something to consider as well. Absolutely, I I definitely um, when I first started doing my whole DM thing, I started with the pre made campaigns and and the maps that I used. It was definitely for me my capabilities capabilities as a DM. Uh, there was no way that I could have explained like the intricacies of the caverns <laughs> and going left and right and up and down. And this one descends, and these are like you know a twenty foot tall ledge, and you know I mean there was at least like twelve or fifteen different areas to cover in descriptions in like these underground caverns or these dungeons. And far be it for me to try and even take on the challenge of of trying to do you know, just a visual description or, or rather a verbal description without any type of visual aid. So, um, definitely, it, it definitely can make a difference versus when I did my first homebrew, I kept it very simple, very straightforward, and it was easy to present, um, to my players in that, in that sense. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is, is prep time. If you're one of those DMs that maybe likes to wing it and kind of go with the flow of things, um, there may be some of these methods that just don't jive with you because they do, require a large amount of prep time. Yep. And, and, and also, even if you are one that, that does a significant amount of prep for building story and things like that, different methods are going to take longer or shorter than others. And so even Mm -hmm. if you are somebody that preps, you maybe just be like, I don't have time for that. I'm going to stick with the tried and true way I've been doing it. So Mm -hmm. about that life. Yep. And, and really the final thing to consider, which I guess should probably the first thing you should consider based upon everything else that we've talked about is your players and what things are going to get them interested in the game, what things are going to really speak to them and they're going to be able to follow best. Um, so, so every player is going to be different. So it's just really a matter of knowing your players and understanding what's going to work for them. Absolutely. I, I'm fortunate for me being the visual DM that I am, that my players are also, very visually oriented, so we jive pretty well. But I have watched a couple of really good um, YouTube channels where, like, the DM is just describing the scenes to his players, and it's just as engaging and it's just as interesting to watch. Um, so I can definitely appreciate the other side of it as well. Yep. So I think that's that's really what we wanted to talk about with regards to things to consider. Let's jump into kind of what we see as the primary ways to present these scenes to your to your players. And mm-hmm. the first one I, I put first on the list is because this is what I have probably done the most of when I first started playing role-playing games back in the 80s. Uh, this was what we did. Uh, mm. and, and it's theater of the mind. So we're talking about 
You don't have visual aids. Everything that your character sees is described by the the, the DM or the GM. And the players imagine what's there. So um, this can actually be a lot of fun and, and it really gets your imagination into, into, into overdrive trying to think of these things. Um, in fact, when I, was a, when I was a kid, I was, in, I was in Scouts and we were taking a cross-country trip in, the, in this big school bus. And my friends and I would play role-playing games in the back of the school bus. And we didn't have to have maps or miniatures or anything like that because everything was theater of the mind. We just had mm-hmm. a little box lid on the floor that we'd roll the dice in and, and that was it. So uh, um, we're kind of get, getting a little bit into the pros with that story because one of the pros is that you can do this anywhere as long as you can yeah. roll some dice or if you have an alternate method for using dice, you could do it anywhere that you don't have to roll dice. Um, um, and because of that, there's really no barrier to entry there. As, as long as you have the the things to play the role-playing game that you would normally have to play the role-playing game, you don't have to buy anything extra because it's it's mm. all description and, and listening. Yeah, you don't need the miniatures or the maps or the markers or anything like that. Yep. Um, so, uh, and and if you, uh, because, because you're, because you as the DM are, are describing it, uh, you can get a lot more detailed uh, than maybe some other ways. Because I found that when I use maps, for instance, to describe combat, it can it can cause me to back off on some of the description because I let people view the map and see the dimensions and just understand that mm. that's what the room is. Uh, it, it can it can cause you to be more de- detailed in those narratives and and really pull players in with with the words and the descriptions and stuff like that sounds like kind of a a bit of a double-edged sword where it's like you can get a very enriching narrative but at the same time it's it's sort of on the dm to have that ability Mm -hmm. to be able to narrate that and that that seems like a lot of a challenge for anyone who's deciding to take on this method yeah so that kind of kind of um advances us forward a little bit into the cons of doing theater of the mind. Uh, it, it definitely is dependent upon the DM to have those, those verbal narrative skills. Uh, because if they, if they don't, then you're, you're just giving half the picture to your players maybe, mm. or, or hopefully half the picture. Maybe it's a quarter of the picture. <laughs> <laughs> it's a 33.33% of the picture. Right. <laughs> And, and because because it's largely dependent upon the DM, there's also a portion that that is dependent upon your players listening. Uh, mm-hmm. And and I know that you and I both have players uh, that that have different differing levels of how much they'll pay attention to what you describe. <laughs> well, let's just say it yeah. leave it at that. And so not everybody's going to hear or picture based upon how they imagine it the same thing. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, and I kind of like related sort of piggybacking on what you said and relating to like our skit, um, especially because of that, you're going to have to be able to repeat um, various parts of your scene or the setting or the description. So again, it definitely comes back on you to one, be able to repeat that reliably. And two, just, (laughs) I think for me, just having the patience being like, I said it's to the left winding (laughs) up. (laughs) Yeah, and if, if you don't have players that are uh, copious note takers as they play, <laughs> you're, you're gonna you're gonna if they backtrack to other rooms, you're gonna have to redescribe the the room again because they they don't 
write down that that to the left is this room that's 10 feet below the ground level and to the right is this scroll work door. They're just know that, yeah, we came from this room. What else is in here? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I think kind of related to that too, that there could be some mechanics of the game that could be a little more difficult to implement verbally. Um, I think you had a couple of good examples of some that might be more challenging than others. Yeah, a lot of the a lot of the combat skills that require uh, adjacency to enemies um, mm. or or your allies to be adjacent. I, the thing that comes to mind is is the rogue sneak attack, where mm. if you have a, an a, a adjacent uh, enemy to your enemy, we'll say, uh, you get you get sneak attack uh, bonus damage. And mm-hmm. yes, as a DM, you can go through and des- describe those things, but it, it doesn't. It, 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 it's a lot more difficult and it's a lot more time consuming. So mm-hmm. it's something to take in mind where if, if you have a lot of, if you're very heavy combat and there's a lot of uh, participants in that, the more you add, the more difficult it's going to be to describe that scene. I think especially for someone like me where I do tend to have like the larger groups too, because you know, speaking of more and more, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you have larger parties, you know, you're going on six, seven, eight players in your group, as I tend to do more often than not. I, I imagine it must be a lot harder to keep track of everything. You know, if we're doing combat, whose turn it is, what's going on. Uh, and especially if you have like, oh, you know, like my favorite Sturges, for example, <laughs> who uh, obviously attack in, in groups. It does definitely seem like a lot to keep track of, especially if there's movement, um, like moving from one place, one place to another. Yeah, and and I think of it like uh, when I when I use a map now, and mm. I've got multiple skeletons on the board, and I'm keeping track of which skeleton has. I'm just using skeletons as an example. Which skeleton example. has which hit points left? I've got skeleton one, two, three, and four. That's mm-hmm. great, but as soon as they start moving around, it can become very easy to lose track of who's who. Yes, <laughs> and so so I think I think sometimes your your uh, enemy tactics can suffer as a result because mm. I'm just going to leave them, and this is the one that's uh, interfacing with Rothgar the terrible, um, and <laughs> he's fighting there, and so this is the Rothgar skeleton or whatever. Um, or it can even boil down to where you're just kind of doing roles to describe combat, which I, I think takes away from it to, yeah. to some extent. It does seem, though, like in terms of like theater of the mind, it does seem like it would be a really fun way of doing different role playing kind of scenarios, though. Like you were saying, you can really provide a really enriching narrative, but maybe for times where it's like certain combat scenarios, certain explorative scenarios, or if you have really large groups and it might it might work against you. Mm hmm. And, uh, and you can do, uh, actually fairly easily, you can do some of the exploration stuff. We, we talked about kind of this dungeon at the beginning. I've, mm-hmm. I've run games where they were doing a labyrinth and yes, it obviously required more Eek. description, but it's definitely possible to do and, and it works out just fine. I'll have to test out the theory and let you know how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's move on to our next way of presenting that scene. And, and you were the, one of the ones that I first encountered this with, so I'm going to let you introduce it and kind of start talking about it. <laughs> okay. Um, so when I first started doing DM, uh, again, I think I've made 
this clear before is I'm very visually oriented, very interactive kind of um, player. So I first started with the uh, wet erase grid maps. Um, You know, it's like the folding ones that you can find for like Pathfinder because they have the same type of grid map that um, D&D uses. Uh, And I would just draw out everything ahead of time. Um, Like if I knew I was making a pre-made adventure i would just choose a section of that that we were going to cover for that night and i would draw the maps i would fold it in like fourths and i on each fourth i would draw a certain section of like the maps that i knew you guys were gonna explore and then i would do that on the flip side and then as we went along i would unfold it and fold it appropriately um that just kind of worked for me especially when it came for combat because i did have I was the type of DM that was like, oh, you know, are you within 30 feet? Let's see how many squares away your miniature is. Mm -hmm. So that worked out really well for me for terms of combat and for exploration. Uh, Again, I think I'm just one of those types of DMs that kind of needs that structure in place in order to be able to give a rich narrative. You definitely have the ability to do theater of mind with ease. Um, But one of the really great things is, you know, there's not a lot involved. I mean, you need the map like the grid and you need the markers and some paper towels, like some damp paper towels to change, modify, erase as you go. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, it's really nice to have that. Um, You know, another pro is that, you know, you definitely get an accurate description of, of what it is you're presenting. Like if the map looks like X, Y, and Z, I can pretty much draw. I mean, I'm not a great, great artist when it comes to drawing, (laughs) but I can, I can pretty accurately draw what I'm seeing on the map and it be, an accurate representation of what the pre-made campaign has given me. Um, I also like that, you know, it's easy to modify or improvise. If I mess up a line or something opens up or if I want to add something, I just erase a little bit with the paper towel and and draw it in and we're hunky-dory, good to go, you know? And one of the things I do like about, uh, about the wet erase board route is that you give players an idea of, of the rough details of the room so yeah it's it's this many feet by this many feet it's shaped Mm -hmm. like this there's something here there's something there but it's not typically so detailed that you forego any need for narrative so oh absolutely yeah you have the you have the ability to to kind of merge having a, a visual representation of where they're at with mm-hmm. the theater of the mind that allows you to to more richly describe the environment and and still have the the players engage that that creative side the 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 um, their imagination to to see really what they're what they're seeing so to speak yeah well I think too for for my particular group I have a few members in my group that are really very strategy oriented and mm-hmm. so I think for them they they tend to appreciate when they have distinctly in front of them like the layout of what's kind of well in front of them uh, and they can kind of strategize, you know, well, this looks like it could be blocked off or, Oh, this looks like it might go up and, Oh, perhaps we should do this and this. And so I think it kind of um, caters to like that particular type of player who, you know, does like to strategize and, you know, when it comes to tactics and strategy, you know, visualization is a very important thing. So I think for, for our particular group, it works really well. Um, Kind of related to that visualization is that, you know, for me, it's, nice like that i can create the what was it that you call it the faux fog um, <laughs> where it's like i i've built out this whole map but i can fold certain parts or i can cover certain parts so that they don't see everything in front of them so they get to discover things as they move along the map 
Um, and it's not just this one huge map that they see all parts of it. So they know like, oh, well, I know if I go up and to the left, I'm going to hit a horde of orcs. Or if I go down this way, it looks like there's a treasure, you know, yep. some sort of treasure located there. So it's nice to be able to still have the ability to, to hide things from them. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So, I, I mean, unless you have other other kind of pros that we want to talk about, I figured I would... So I would, many pros. <laughs> <laughs> figured I would move on to the, the cons a little bit. Yeah. And, and I... I when I first started looking at using miniatures in my game, I did look at at, at using the the wet erase board as an option, mm-hmm. and I ended up going a different route. And the, the number one reason was uh, because there's only so much room on that on that board. That means that yes. that when you um, when you are done with a room, uh, sometimes you have to erase parts of the board before you can even continue on. Or if you have a really large room, you you may only be able to show parts of the room at one time. It, the, the the dry erase boards are typically pretty large, so that's not terribly likely. But if you do have a very large room, then they'll they'll kind of be, oh, hold on, we're going to flip it and we'll draw over here, yeah. and then maybe we've got another one we got to pull in. Um, so the the room is, I think, the biggest thing. Uh, not only because of the the size of the whiteboard, but you also need to have a table that will accommodate that that yes. that whiteboard as well. I agree, and I think the thing that I had underestimated when I first started using the the wet erase you know grid map was that I was like, oh, I have a table that's large enough for this, and then I I realized, well, I need a table that's large enough for the map and everyone's dice, mm-hmm. and everyone's drinks, and everyone's snacks, and <laughs> oh, their playbooks, and oh, what are they going to write on and take notes? And it, it occurred to me that like the, the need for space was becoming larger and larger and larger, and the next thing I knew, I had like two six-foot-long tables pushed together because I needed that much space, and again, I have larger groups, so um, it took up the majority of my living room and my entryway and part of my kitchen. So, yeah. And we just took over the whole house. We said, all yeah. right, this group My is going to be in this part of the house. And yeah, you just walk in and it's just all, the whole house is is the next campaign. All you D&D, are, all the you time. You are the characters. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, speaking of size, it's kind of like you were saying, you know, um, combat is very much re- um, relative to size, you know. And so when you have a grid map, like you were saying, you, you're also limited to the size of your map when it comes to the battlefield or when it comes to combat. Mm-hmm. Um it, small things are hard to tell, like elevation. Like, is someone high up on a ledge? Do they fall down? Um, you know, is there a creature flying above? Are there stalactites or stalagmites? And, you know, if there's um, there's one that I did where it was one level and then a bridge and then ladders that led up to a second to a second level. So it was like I had the bottom, the bridge, the second level, and that's really hard <laughs> to, like, mm-hmm. just draw out on a map and everyone be able to, like, really... Um, have like that spatial recognition. Yeah, and and speaking of the spatial recognition, a lot yeah. of the a lot of the benefit of that wet erase board is going to be at least to some extent dependent upon your DM's drawing capability. So, yes. can they draw a box? <laughs> and, and admittedly, <laughs> most hope. of the time, the drawing doesn't have to be detailed or anything like that. But it's a it's a matter of getting the point across. And then beyond yeah. that, it's a matter of that spatial organization so that if you've got this arc that goes up over the battlefield that they could climb up on if they wanted to, mm-hmm. how do you represent that and still show that, hey, this is different? 
you can still go under this because it's just a it's a it's a feature of the room. It's not a wall or something like that. So exactly keeping stuff in mind like that. How am I going to re- represent these things? Am I going to use a different color? Am I going to am I going to use dotted lines? However you do it, uh, you make a decision and, and stick with it. I think that it can really help to have something like that to make the differentiation, though. No, I think so. I, I learned that the hard way. I had four wet erase markers. You know, uh, was it black, blue, red, and green that I had to make work for me? And it seems like it would be enough colors. You really would think it would be. <laughs> and then when I realized I was trying to draw scenes, I was like, I do not have nearly enough colors to try and show this in an accurate way for my players. So it's it's challenging sometimes. And unfortunately, most of the little wet erase mar- marker kits just come with those four colors. And you're like, all right, that's yeah. it. That's all you get. <laughs> You like what you get. (laughs) Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Midroll. We're sponsored again this week by Darkwind. Whether you're exploring the caves on Volcano Island, trekking through the desert while trying not to die of thirst in Suvriel, or battling golems in the underworld, there's adventures waiting for you in Darkwind. Blending classic text based games with modern day role-playing games, it truly is a unique experience on the internet. But don't take my word for it. Play for free by pointing your browser to play.darkwind.org. We'll see you there. Now let's get back to the show. Besides the wet erase boards, there's also another method, um, and it's kind of a duel because there's one way that you do it and one way that I do it, but it kind of, um, I, I think, come, comes along to this, uh, a similar visualization. Like So for me, well, or this next category rather, covers things where it's more like you have actual tiles or printed grids or some sort of 3D terrain that you've either printed or, or crafted yourself, mm-hmm. um, a very modular way of... of presenting um your story or your rather your setting to your players there as you mentioned there are options to create your own uh Mm -hmm. dungeon tiles your own grids your own 3d terrain or there are pre-made options that you can do uh buy from the store or things like that um um, but so some of the pros of doing that is that it is it is great for homebrew because you can very mm-hmm. easily because it a lot of the times it's modular you can very easily just kind of mix and match things to make the scene that you you want to make, um, and and because a lot of these are three D so like the dungeon tiles typically have a three D aspect to them the three D yeah. terrain definitely does you can <laughs> <is> really <laughs> you can really help your players understand hey this is really blocking my way. Or yeah. this is somebody is standing that's a full floor up. It, it gives you that that uh, that uh, elevation functionality that I, I feel like we've been missing in the in the last in the in the wet erase board um, that really you get here. Yeah, and I, I think that's a really fun thing to add is you know when it like really so to speak like stands out to you, um, you get the texture and you get that sense of elevation and height um, with the miniatures, and I think that. You know, for again, those players that maybe are a little more visually oriented, it can really provide that enriching game experience. Um, another, I think for me, another pro to modular tiles is that, you know, we were talking before about like faux fog, right? We don't want them to see the entirety of the setting before they get to that part. And that's the really cool thing about tiles is 
you know, you can set it up so that you just arrange the tiles and then you just keep adding to your scene as they go along. So um, it kind of allows you the ability to hide what is in front of them until they get to that point. Very much like, um, you know, we were saying before, faux fog or, you know, I, I was using paper to cover up parts of my grid map. In that sense, you know, you can do it with tiles very, very easily. Just keep in mind that, that that building of the of the map by putting down new tiles and stuff is taking up a little bit of time in your game, but not significantly. No. Not too much. And, and for me, like, I actually prepped it ahead of time where I had, like, my tiles have, like, an interlocking system on, on the bottoms of them. So I just, like, pieced together segments, and then as they went along, I would just bring that chunk in and bam. Like, you know, hallway and around the corner was already all done at one time because I'd pieced it together and I just brought it all out at one time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. and and you made your own tiles, if I'm not mistaken. I did. Yeah, so, I, well, I have a lot of time on my hands lately, so <laughs> <laughs> I thought I would try it. Um, I wanted to see if it was, you know, something that was really worth doing, if it was something that would be, like, my players would be receptive to, if I felt like it was worth the time and the effort to do. Um, I like a lot of things like that. I really enjoy um, building and crafting and things like that. When I was in school for interior design, we did a lot of models that we had to build. And so this mm-hmm. was very appealing to that part of, you know, my, um, my character, if you will. So yes, I did. I made a lot of tiles. Um, I went on YouTube for some inspiration. I think I found DM Scotty and Wylock's Armory, which were like my absolute favorite videos to watch for crafting. Got a lot of great inspiration ideas. Um, and I just made a whole ton of of tiles um and i kind of did a dry run a couple weeks ago to see how um it worked for a couple of players so and and (laughs) and when you prepared for that dry run you were telling me that that before you did that and i think you just mentioned this as well you Mm -hmm. built it out beforehand so you could really see what it was going to look like to the players before they got there and and kind of see how things fit in the in the space that you had yeah so i've tried to keep things within like a two foot by three foot area on you know i was like okay this is the amount that i'm dealing with so i don't want to make my you know little campaign any bigger than that and i did i I took my box o tiles and i went into my office and i just kind of started building things out and i kind of like that about making your own you know homebrew on a map you can draw it but i found that i was able to be a lot more detailed and i don't know create a much more creative and expansive setting when i had these tiles to kind of arrange like puzzle pieces Mm -hmm. um I feel like for me, it was a lot more effective in creating those unique, you know, settings for my players. So, and it was fun because I got to create all sorts of fun little terrain things like spider webs out of super glue and little traps and hidden doors and little altars. And it was, it was fun for me. Yeah. And, and you showed me the pictures. They, they look really cool. And for, for Thanks. those that are listening, do some searches for homemade D and D terrain or, or scenes you'll find some really amazing stuff that people have done adding, oh, yeah. in, adding in fog machines to create like this misty scene. <laughs> and a just, light show. Just all sorts of really crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah. I stuck to a cardboard chipboard and acrylic paints. And yeah. I mean, I, it was, it was just glued all together and, and I, I thought it turned out really well. So. Yep. So yeah. let's talk about the, some of the cons of using the dungeon tiles and printed grids, 3D trains. They, like they do exist. <laughs> yeah. And, and the first one that I think comes to mind, and I think probably would come to anybody's mind, is the time or money commitment to get these things in your possession. So, and, yes. and really, it's, it's one or the other. It's time it is. or it's money. And yeah. if you go out and buy them, 
it's going to be money. <laughs> yes. I, mean, I can go on Etsy and find all sorts of great, amazing 3D terrains and tiles to buy, but I'm going to be out quite a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But you know one thing I do have lately? That's time. Lots and <laughs> lots of time. Oh, the lucky ones. <laughs> um, um. But, but the next con is kind of related to the previous one in that, uh, in that we, it, because it takes time and money to create these things, you're going to have a limited number of these tiles that, that exist. And so you can be very tempted to reuse the tiles, and oftentimes that, that makes a lot of sense. But if you are excessively reusing them where this room just looks like the last nine rooms that we, we've been into in this thing, just with a room in between them, uh, it, it could really uh, ruin some of that immersion for your players. Yes, you definitely want to be resourceful with your tiles. I made a whole bunch of dungeon tiles with edges and dead ends and corners, and I could have rearranged them in the same format over and over again, making the same spaces, but, you know, I wanted to be creative. I wanted to be resourceful. So, you know, I would make hidden rooms. I would make hallways. I would make grand entrance um, spaces, and if you allow yourself to be creative with the tiles, like maybe you have diagonal ones and you have curved ones as well as like dead ends and and things like that, you can actually come up with a lot of really creative spaces that don't come across as repetitive to your players. So Mm -hmm. it's just kind of on you as the DM to make sure that what you're creating is something that's unique and not just the same thing over and over and over. Yep. And, uh, the big, the big challenge I think, uh, with, with the 3d tiles, especially is, storage how how do you store them where (laughs) do you put them when you're not using them yes i have a nice box o tiles um and the box as i keep making them is getting bigger and bigger and i am definitely going to have to find some better (laughs) some better uh storage methods here because right now my my uh box of tiles is uh sitting on my bay window right now because i just haven't figured out a good place that i want to store them for easy access and use so it's definitely one of those things where like you have to think of all the small components too, like all the secret little doors that I made and all those tiny little altars and my super glue spider webs. Like mm-hmm. I've got to find small compartments for those, um, you know, where they're not going to get torn up or broken so that I can store them with the tiles in a way that, you know, is going to be efficient, but also not going to break any of my stuff when I'm not using it. Yeah. And it's, just, it's the same challenge that you have. If you have a bunch of miniatures that you, you travel mm-hmm. to and from games with, Um, I have a little like uh, a fastener box that has different little compartments for each of the minis. And and so it's the same thing. It's just a matter of figuring out what the best way to to store it is and Mm -hmm. realizing that there's at some point going to be a maximum capacity that you can have before you just have to say, (laughs) yep, I'm done. I can't I can't have any more. (laughs) Nor can you. But, um, it, but some yeah. of the printed grids um, can help you avoid some of that. I know that there's like yeah. there's like flip tiles that Pathfinder mm-hmm. makes and a couple other yes. other things uh, because they are just flat paper that are like high quality prints on there. Mm-hmm. They don't require much storage room. It's not as immersive as the the 3D stuff that you're working with, but mm-hmm. it still is an option that gives you sort of that modularity yes. uh, without the storage headaches. It absolutely does. I have a, a set of like Pathfinder forest tiles that mm-hmm. I like to use and you know they flip on either side so you can choose scenery from either side. And I typically like to use that when like my players are traveling, you know, to and from from point A to point B. 
it's really quick and easy visualization and I can still provide them kind of a, a map type without having to draw anything out. I haven't quite committed to making forest tiles yet. <laughs> um, my own 3D ones, but those ones at least are, are effective for those particular purposes since my traveling time between point A and point B up until this point has been relatively brief. Mm-hmm. Um, and really the last con I think we should probably talk about is is just that it's going to require more prep to, to actually make it make it make all these things to use in your game. Mm-hmm. So much prep. I mean, you're, you're thinking of like the prep to just even make the tiles and create them. And then the prep time, of course, to build out your scenery and your setting. I take a photo of it so that I can remember how I put it all together. So when I piece it for my players that I don't mess something up, it definitely is, is a time commitment. Um, yeah. Even if you buy everything off of Etsy, which there's so many cool looking things on Etsy. <laughs> even if that were the case, there's still a lot of prep time. So again, you know, if you're one of those types of DMs that like just maybe prefers to wing it or just kind of go with the flow and the narrative aspect. Um, you know, this may or may not be a good choice for you, but if you're one of those that enjoys crafting and visualization and interactiveness in the way that I am, um, this is definitely a fun option. Yep. So the next and last type of scene setting that we're going to talk about is the digital tabletop. And it will also include online play systems like Roll20, Fantasy Grounds, Mm -hmm. Astral in with this because they're all doing roughly the same thing, using software to present the the map to your players um, so that they have a visual representation of what they're they're doing. This Um, is your specialty. Yeah. Uh, so hmm. uh, we've talked about it a couple of times, but I, I mm-hmm. built a table that I have a TV in for when we can do in-person play. And that's where I display um, the the grid map when they're mm-hmm. exploring or, or fighting. Uh, but it's also I can use it for doing things like uh, displaying a region map when we're not in fighting so they can see what's going on or a just a some scene art for the town that they're in or a pub mm-hmm. or something like that. Uh, so it's nice to have have the screen there just because it's it gives you some versatility. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, a lot of the pros are going to map very similarly to, I, I guess, kind of a combination between the last two topics, the, 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 the wet erase and the, and the 3D um, devices. Mm. Uh, you, can get, you can really create those high-resolution maps to enhance your play immersion. And, mm-hmm. and with those maps, you can do things like uh, create um, anim- animated assets that really draw the players in a little bit more. I think one of the favorite things that like I had experienced when we were playing one of your games was like you had the map and it was like a tower and around the tower you had like flickering torches and we were all just like oh the flames are <laughs> flickering oh my gosh this is so crazy high level <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah, and it, depending upon the software you use that's kind of going to be a native feature that you can just add in so it it was something that I think the players enjoyed. Obviously, you're saying you enjoyed it, but it really wasn't any additional effort for me. It was just mm-hmm. I dragged this thing onto the map, and hey, it it, it flickers. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> we were wooed. We were very ooed and awed. <laughs> uh, but but another pro about using the the digital maps is that it's very easy to switch between maps. It's very easy to have mm-hmm. maps that are significantly larger than your table will accommodate uh, because you can you can 
scroll the map sideways or, or stuff. And you can also zoom in and out so that you can mm-hmm. have a much larger area that you're presenting without having a table that's three miles wide or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and, and leveraging the fog of war, uh, most, if not all of the, all of the digital type, uh, softwares that I've seen have at least a manual fog of war. And some of them, if you're using tokens, have a, a dynamic Mm. fog of war where it automatically draws what the players can see and hides what they've not, what's what they've already seen, but is behind them so that, Oh, you don't know what's happening in that room now that you're not in it anymore. (laughs) So fancy technology. (laughs) And, and you, you used um, some digital maps when you did roll 20 as well. Yeah. Uh, Any, any uh, pros that you kind of had from, from doing it that way? I mean, again, I go full circle back here to the visualization of it. You know, when I was doing my particular campaign, it was, I, I just had like a simple PDF and then I had the tokens Um, I didn't really enable any type of fog capabilities because I'm not that technologically oriented. (laughs) But it was nice um, to have it there and the players could just move their tokens as they wanted and I could explain to them, you know, in a narrative format, like how everything was turning out, how things were developing. So I think, you know, when it came to online play, having those visuals there, like the maps with the tokens and everything, um, it was really, really convenient and it really as for me as a dm allowed me to really focus on like the quality of play for my players yep and the the thing to keep in mind is that that just because it's digital doesn't mean you can't have physical assets with it uh on on, when i have the in-person games we use physical miniatures for the characters as well as Mm -hmm. the the enemies or monsters that they encounter um you could very easily add in terrain pieces if you wanted to highlight a special special component of the room that was 3D. Uh, it, it's really whatever is going to make your game um, work for you and your players, I think. Yeah, and I mean, the fun thing about like online platforms too is you can implement other things. Like some people like to try and play music in mm-hmm. addition and other people um, will do things like, uh, you know, like the online rolling of dice, you know, and, and adding things onto it uh, within the platform, like Roll20, was really good for that. You know, it's like, oh, I'm rolling a D20. You could just click the button and it would roll it for you. And that's that's a really, and especially if you're playing with a group, say, that you're not familiar with, it kind of helps with that integrity aspect of it where it's like, okay, we're all rolling. Everyone can see it visually. Um, we all have our tokens. We can see it. And we're all listening to the same music. And so it's, it's kind of nice to be able to still create that immersive um, experience for your players with, like, those small little technological add-ons. Yeah. So... Let's talk a little bit about the cons of, of the digital tabletop. And I'm going to, we've been talking kind of high level where it's in person or, or online. And we already had an episode on online stuff. So I'm going to really try and keep this focused for that in person play where you've got mm. maybe a TV embedded in a table or on top of a table or on the wall or whatever, just where you're, you have that in person experience. Um, yeah. The biggest con I see is the computer hardware as well as the technological skills that may be required to um, to make this a reality for your table. Because it's really not as, it's it's definitely not going to be as simple as, as throwing a grid map down and drawing your map on. Uh, it, it, it requires um, the hardware to run it because it, it can be graphics intensive. So mm-hmm. graphics cars and all that stuff. Uh, but as you mentioned, if you're not technologically 
sound, uh, (laughs) have lots of skills there, you can have difficulty figuring out the fog of war or how to navigate between the maps, things like that. And Mm -hmm. admittedly, when I first got the software I used, it was a little bit difficult at first to to figure that stuff out. Once I did, it was fine, but it took me a little while to to actually figure that out. Yeah, and I think um, another thing, you know, we're talking about software and hardware and programs and stuff. I think you were mentioning to me that a lot of these require like a serve like an online subscription or service or something that allows you to be able to implement this stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, so, a lo- what a lot of people have I've seen done to do um, to do this is use a, use an online service like a Roll20 or a Fantasy Grounds mm-hmm. and just use that for their in, in-person table. The software I use, I think I've mentioned before, is called Ark and Forge. Um, it is a purchase software, so you pay $30. It's a one-time fee, and mm-hmm. you install it on your computer, so you don't have to worry about having a network connection or anything like that once it's installed, mm-hmm. uh, which is nice, but it does rely more upon the hardware that's running on the computer to make things happen, so it's mm-hmm. pros and cons. Pros and cons. Yep. <laughs> uh, and then if you're if you're doing this in person, uh, just like with our with our with our uh, modular tiles, you have to worry about storage. Probably more so than the modular tiles. <laughs> with with mine, when when we're not playing, the TV the TV and the table that the TV goes into are not in that space anymore. Uh, luckily, I. I put it together well enough that my, my TV is on the wall in my office when, when that's not going mm-hmm. on and the table collapses, uh, the legs come off and it fits under a couch. But you really have to make those, those considerations when you're putting this together uh, because otherwise you're going to be like, oh, great, we're done. Now where do I put this? <laughs> yeah, and I think fortunately like your house is large enough where you have a whole separate room where you can put these things, you have the space mm-hmm. for it. You know, My house is quite small and cozy, so it's like, well... I think for me, it wouldn't necessarily be so much the storage aspect as I just don't have space within my home that I could fit something as large as that without having to move like a whole bunch of other furniture around. Let me push all my stuff to the back wall, <laughs> my couch and my TV and my TV stand, get it all out of the way. And then let's pop up this table. Oh, um, what's wrong with that? <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Totally. It's a, this is a D&D friendly home. I mean, e- even even with with us having uh, room to put it in, I still have to rearrange the room that I'm putting it in every mm-hmm. time. I have to take furniture out of the room and move mm-hmm. furniture out of the way so that the table fits. Uh, but it's it's something that I determined was was worthwhile for our game, just because I sure. I liked using the the hardware that we had there. We are committed in our methods <laughs> as DMs. <laughs> Um, but another, another con, um, to using this is that building maps can require a lot of time before sessions. And because Mm -hmm. it can require a lot of time, it does make it harder to ad lib when you're in the session. Um, I think those two kind of go hand in hand Mm -hmm. because sure you can draw some very basic, uh, stick figure maps. We'll call them, uh, if, if the players decide to go a different way that you weren't expecting. Mm. But at that point, why not just use a wet erase grid? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, let's keep drawing with this wet erase marker. And <laughs> um, um, I think you were talking too that I mean, it's, I think whether you do digital or tiles or wet erase, like there's still prep ahead of time mm-hmm. that's involved. And I think you know, outside of those, like theater of the mind is probably the one that involves the least amount of like actual physical prep. Yeah, there's still prep in, as far as understanding how you're going to describe rooms and stuff, but I would say that that prep is probably less because you're still having mm-hmm. to describe the rooms and the other three messes we've talked about. Yeah, makes sense. 
So I think that's what we wanted to talk about today. Um, hmm. we're, uh, we're, we're glad you joined us again. And uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Until then, stay, stay nerdy, nerdy, friends. nerdy, friends. Hey, everyone, and thanks for joining us this week. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast platform. It really does help. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Felicia Martinez. The show is edited by John Welsh. If you've got an idea for a future episode, let us know. You can reach us at becomingdm.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash becomingdm, and on Twitter, we're at becomingdm. We'll see you in two weeks.